Good evening, you're listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today is Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Hello, hello. We also welcome, return to us at long last, from wandering uh, wandering the wilds, our prodigal panelist, John Bolding. Yeah, sorry, my garden's just really big this year, and I, I went out there and I got completely lost, and now it's October. Just- that bounty of San Marzano's you brought in, not meant to grow in your native soil, but you with your green thumb, uh, somehow bringing the delights of the Mediterranean uh, to North Carolina. They are. Uh, they're they're so gruesome looking like the plants are all withered and brown. They've had like leaf rot and burn the whole summer. And then they actually started producing. And it's just the greatest thing that's happened to me in probably eight months. That's that does sound honestly in, incredible. I've only had canned uh, San Marzano's, so I'm sorry. My dog is biting my hand. <laughs> I'm sitting here trying to podcast, and the dog is just biting my hand. Uh, so this week we are talking about uh, iron harvest, a different kind of harvest than the tomato harvest. It's all going wrong. Troy, it's this. The show is cursed. Uh, it's something. Yeah, the game is cursed. OK, so we are talking about Iron Harvest, uh, the diesel punk RTS from King Art Games uh, that for a long time seemed like Mecca Company of Heroes. And in a lot of ways, I, in a lot of ways, I would stand by that description. <laughs> Are you hearing this? Yes. You're hearing this. <laughs> Do you hear the growling? Yes. She is okay. angry. So, this is a game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mia, no. Oh, shit. <laughs> okay. All right. Hmm. <laughs> so this is John let's just dive into it uh I was not very sanguine about this game when I played the multiplayer demo because it just seemed so much uh like at the time a lesser company of heroes um fair and in some ways it does it does feel that way but my feelings changed a little bit once I played the campaign and you reviewed the two halves of the game separately I'm wondering if you'd talk about like the aspects of, of iron harvest and, and what this thing is and what you should be signing up for. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's, it's fascinating as a game for that exact reason, which is like this whole thing happened with Dawn of war three. We won't get too deep into it, but like it was a failure in many ways. And a thing that failed about it was that neither the campaign nor the multiplayer ended up being that satisfying to anyone. Whereas with Iron Harvest, what you have is, to me, the best single player RTS campaign I've played in years. I will comfortably say since Deserts of Karak, which was that, years yes, ago at this point. Exact and then, same frame of reference I was going to go to. And then before that, I guess Legacy of the Void for Starcraft 2 was maybe good. But this is way better than Karak. This is as good as a Starcraft campaign to me. Um, whereas 
when you're playing the multiplayer, it sort of feels like an a somewhat empty, slightly soulless and kind of unbalanced Company of Heroes one. And it's it's shocking to see that none of the lessons of Company of Heroes two got learned in the production of this game. When you sit and play only the multiplayer. But if this game was like a purely single player RTS, I would have nothing to complain about. And I and for that reason, I was really pleased. I wrote two separate reviews. I ended up spilling a lot of ink on this game uh, because I reviewed the multiplayer separate. And so I was able to give the multiplayer like a six, whereas I gave the single player like an eight. Right. Because the the single player just is so much higher touch and higher polish than the multiplayer. The level design in the single player is quite good, whereas the map design in the multiplayer is mediocre at best. It's it's a surprising experience in an RTS, and it feels so much more like the Red Alert days of RTS, where you were like, hell yeah, Red Alert 2. I'm going to play the shit out of this insane full motion video filled weird campaign. But also, now that I am playing the multiplayer, I'm deeply disappointed and this is not fun. Yeah, I would I would say that it does for me, I think the Company of Heroes games are in some ways a, a better frame of reference. But I don't know. Deserts of Karak is good because I I would say there, in terms of storytelling and overall like writing and art and narrative arc, uh, that is an RTS that works. And Iron Harvest for me, I think might work it far better than just about any command and conquer uh does and i think it has a more compelling story than any company of heroes the company of heroes has great missions uh there are there are moments in that campaign that are really extraordinary in the history of rts single player campaigns but in terms of stories i don't know that i would say like a lot of them are, are all that engaging i found myself getting surprisingly caught up in and unexpectedly so like i was so skeptical coming into this game despite the fact i like um the board game scythe i adore artist uh jacob brzezalski's um artwork of sort of pastoral uh eastern european scenes with weird diesel punk mechs in the middle of them i live for that but i was really skeptical of this thing and i was really surprised at the degree to which this thing uh brought me all the way on board to the point where I was really playing this and like kind of curious what was going to happen next. Uh, Troy, what was, what was your arc with this thing? I think you guys like it a lot more than I do. Um, I don't think it's a, I think it's a good RTS. I think it's a quite good RTS. I mean, it's, I mean, I mean, John is right. The, the skirmish, I, I didn't go to multiplayer, but even the, the, the skirmish game in, Iron Harvest is, is obviously the weakest part. Um, to, to set it up, because you didn't quite set it up, Iron Harvest is based on an alternate history uh, of Europe, where in this alternate history, World War I ends with uh, both sides having these giant mechs. Um, and, but it does end with pretty much the same situation with Poland, in this game, Polania, uh, fighting uh, to maintain its newly won independence against an occupying Russian force. It's called Iron Harvest 1920+, plus because the Battle of Warsaw, 1920, big turning point in Polish history, blah, blah, blah. Um, but both sides 
all of the sides in the game have very similar units, and they differ mostly in their diesel mechs, these giant walking, well, not giant. I mean, the art shows these giant 10-story things, but in the game, they're like 12 feet tall at most. These are not, you know, gigantic uh, Godzilla-sized Gundams running around. Um, these are relatively powerful, game-changing uh, weapons. Once you get a mech out in the field, you can really change the game. Well, there are a lot of great things about it, and I want to talk more about how the game works in combat later on. But the campaign, though it's quite good and better than the skirmish, some of the missions really, really worked for me. I mean, I think the hot thought, I, but I couldn't get all the way through because it was just, man, some of those things, it is a really hard campaign. This is a tough, tough, tough campaign to play on the normal level. Um, the highlight in the uh, first chapter, which is the Polania chapter, you take this heroic Polish resistance girl and she has to liberate her village and then save the Palanians with her resistance leader uncle. The highlight of that chapter is, and I think John mentioned this in his uh, review at IGN, was the train escort mission. Where you have this yeah. train and you have to take it through all of these valleys and it's a it's an escort mission and the train's armed, but it's like a it is a it is a literal glass cannon. It has a cannon on it, but that train will take very few hits before it's destroyed. Um, so you have to scout ahead and take out all the strong points, and then you get to the final point and you realize, oh no, now it turns into your traditional base building RTS because you've got to clear the way for the train to get to the final end and you end up fighting on both sides. And it's really a wonderful, wonderful scripted mission. And I think at its best, Iron Harvest has, like Company of Heroes, really, really good missions. Now, if you don't get sucked into the alternate history and the overacting and the voices and the, you know, Prince Wilhelm, being an ass, um, there might not be a whole lot here for you. But there really are some wonderfully scripted missions uh, that get you into Iron Harvest. And many of them fit the same style as other uh, campaigns. Like you have the escort mission with the train. You have the you have to fight off waves of attackers before a Deus Ex Machina shows up in a mech uh, to pull your balls out of the fire. Uh, you have uh, the the race to objective type missions. You have all of these things uh, that are standard. But the scenario design and mission design is really, really well done. Um, and But I, I just was not as sucked into the story, I guess, as you guys. I think it, it's a good campaign. Uh, I don't think it's as good as Karak. But it's certainly a lot better than I expected. I had very, very low expectations for this game, and I saw the price point. Because wow, that's a lot to ask. Um, but it's actually quite a well done game. I may be talking myself to liking this game more than I thought. Yeah, I think that's actually how I felt about it. I went into this like both you and Rob with incredibly low expectations. I hadn't seen any trailers or anything that made it look like it was going to be an epic and interesting single player RTS campaign. Uh, but then it was. I um I was actually quite compelled by some of the characters. They're they're RTS campaign level characters. Well, yeah. They don't have deep and complex stories, 
but they are characterized very well and they do have interesting turns of character, ways they behave and choices that they make over the campaign. And there are some genuinely excellent moments of written dialogue as well, which I think is was very satisfying to see in an RTS campaign. Yeah, and I I think I'm also a sucker for the fact that it is set in the interwar years of this fantasy universe. And so it does have those overtones of the um you know Russo-Polish war. And it is such a game about the eastern the politics of uh the eastern european plains uh basically that are a stage for so much critical action in history but often when we see these topics broached in games it's always just as you know it's the company of heroes model where it's how do we put uh you know an anglo-american perspective at the center of this thing Mm. and make it about sort of these familiar beats from history. And here so much of it touches on uh, like in the Polanyan campaign, there's sort of this um, it like it sort of signals the type of game you're in for right at the start where the first act of that campaign is you being pulled from your quiet life and pulled into this war of resistance against uh you know these these Roosevelt invaders and yeah. then it turns out that the character who's been your mentor for this early stage of the game is maybe a fanatical nationalist who doesn't know where or when to draw the lines or what lines should be drawn and so immediately it gets into this tension between he's out there saying the people who are urging compromise and telling me to slow my role are the people who are going to sell out our independence. They are going to destroy our nation because they refuse to see what's happening in front of them. And there's historically that guy has a case, but at the same time, his solution to that is I'm going to engineer horrific destruction on a national scale um, in order to basically radicalize and awaken uh, nationalist fervor. Right. Yeah, he it's it's the same case, I think, in the other two campaigns. Well, in one of the other two campaigns as well, where you have this really interesting character who uh, is an oddly like an oddly a historical one, but also very true to the historical personages where you have um, the grizzled sort of Prussian drilled military officer who believes in that military tradition and believes in that stuff who is going to be taken advantage of and used for evil ends because of his loyalty to the state. And I think that seeing those characters play out is it's quite fun. Um, And they do manage to provide interesting twists and they do really successfully, especially I think for a, Uh, a Western European and an American audience, they really effectively use this setting that very few people are familiar with, right? I'm willing to bet that there is like a sentence about the Russo-Polish war in most history textbooks in high schools in America. If a sentence at all. Yeah. Uh, 
but they use this setting in a really compelling way and they they understand what they're doing because they have the English voice cast, right? You can play this game with a full English voice cast and they have quite a few very talented voice actors. Um, but the the clutch thing is that all the voice actors are bilingual. And so you can also play the whole campaign with everyone speaking in their native languages and you can turn that on. And that is really, really fun. I definitely agonized over that one a little bit, but I just know that often you end up losing a little bit because subtitles have to be sort of condensed uh, in order to make space for it. So when I realized there was good English voice acting, I just, you know, I punted and went with that. Um, but yeah, like I was, I was shocked at how good uh, so much of the execution here was. And there's genuinely cute touches like, I love the fact you got a pet bear. And I love the fact the pet bear has his little name written on his little medical bags uh, th that he carries around. It's a good bear. Um, Wojtek, you know, is is the fat bear of of 2020. Um, You're yeah, I, I, I think it is. I think that wanted a lot of credit with me uh, from the start. But you also mentioned, uh, John, that you know in your review you made comparisons to like warcraft 3 uh in terms of campaign um and i don't think i've so i haven't like messed with the the saxon campaign uh much so i'm, I'm still like wrapping up uh polania but i am a little bit curious um warcraft 3 is a really elevated comparison when it comes to rts campaigns um yeah. yeah you care to elaborate on that a little bit yeah that was a comparison that i i worked over a couple times uh to make sure that i was actually that serious about it and i and i am i think it's a really sincere comparison because the structure that those old uh those older blizzard rts's have specifically warcraft 3 has this structure much better than the others where it takes three seemingly unrelated two seemingly unrelated stories right the first two campaigns have these seemingly unrelated stories but then by the end of the third campaign you are having a completely separate experience that then draws together and relates the previous campaigns right so like you play the human campaign in warcraft 3 and you're like all right i'm arthas i'm an edgelord and I'm going to fall to darkness. Cool. You play the orc campaign. You're like, I'm thrall. I'm going to a new continent to find a home for my people. But then by the end of the third campaign, the night elf campaign, everything gets drawn together in a completely interesting and new way to become a finale, which is greater than the narrative sum of the parts. And Iron Harvest pulls a bunch of really cute tricks with especially timelines where there are separate timelines going on as you play through specifically the Saxon campaign. Where you don't realize when things are happening until they until suddenly they connect with the events that previously happened in the Polonian campaign. And then again, for the third campaign, the Rusviet campaign, it's a really surprisingly satisfying conclusion that does not waste your time and does build on itself they only have you know 25 or 26 mission ep basically episodes to make it work and they do and it's really satisfying narrative plotting i was impressed wow um yeah i 
am definitely then going to going to stick with this. I wasn't I don't think I was going to fall off, but um, now I'm definitely encouraged to hear there's there's more to keep playing for in. Yeah. <clears throat> in terms of, the, you know, you said the the map design and the mission design in this campaign is is also pretty strong. Uh, yeah, I would have to say, you know, Troy, I'm with you. Uh, the the train stuff was pretty like it was demanding, like escorting a train through a map was uh, bordered on nightmarish at times. Um, but it, that was a memorable mission. Defending the train yard. This game, this game takes a very important lesson from Company of Heroes, which is that RTS games get awesome when you force people into an Alamo situation. And this game seems to get that, like, you know, <laughs> a really the way to probably get the most mileage out of a mission is first you clear the map and take it over. And then you have to hold out as just you get absolutely hammered from every direction. And can you turn all your defensive tools uh, to, to good effect? And this game goes to that well a fair bit, but damn if it doesn't work. Yeah, they do. I, one of the things I said in my original review is that a lot of the things that this game does are just RTS campaign tropes. Like nothing is truly new here, but it's all combined in, you know, interesting enough ways, new enough ways, ways that wouldn't have been possible 15 or 20 years ago. And I it didn't bother me. It's like I haven't seen so many of these tropes for I haven't seen the OK, yeah. build your base take over the map. Oh, now now defend. I haven't seen that in so long in a game that it was like it's like an old friend. Like and it, it's 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 rough for me because that's normally something I would criticize, right? Oh, you're just going with the tropes. You're just doing something predictable in like an FPS campaign. But here I just liked it. There's just so few good RTS campaigns to play. Yeah. Troy, did you did you get some of that? Because because I think you and I have talked at length over the years about how bad RTS campaigns generally are. I, I want to say like three or four years ago, we had a podcast where we basically talked about these things are a terrible idea. And why do people pour out so much resources on them? And yet I'm kind of with John in so far as playing, setting aside the fact my expectations were, were pretty measured for this playing this. I, I did kind of say I, there was definitely an element of nostalgia that was, that was working for me. And I don't know if it's just really well executed or if I am just completely like tickled to see what was old being new again. I, I mean, I think part of it could be, I mean, the bar is really, really low. Let me be frank here. I mean, it's not, there aren't a lot of really great campaigns out there to begin with. Um, I liked the Company of Heroes campaign. It was just a series of missions and calling it a story doesn't make much sense. Company of Heroes 2 kind of, you know, didn't do much for me. Um, and here it's, I mean, the, as as John says, the writing and voice acting is is quite good. The, the production values are very high, uh, which is important. Um, the missions vary from place to place, and it doesn't bother with any a, for a, a long time, or for the last few years at least. There was this peak for like two or three years where RTS designers wanted to do this meta campaign thing, and Dawn of War fell into this path. Where you have a campaign, but it'd be tied to some like strategic objectives. You'd have a couple of choices and missions, and um, it would try to make your 
make you care about what you were doing have be be an active player in the creation of the narrative or something uh one of the dawns of wars did this i think rise of legends did this to an extent this is just that's never a good idea i think you're better off having a really good series of well-designed maps that uh follow a good strong story and here we have a decent story we have strong characters we have you know well the missions themselves are well designed i'm going to i'm not going to talk too much about the later uh chapters because i'm going to spoil too much about them but in the polania campaign for example before the train one there is you have to capture the train yard and then you have to defend the train yard uh from you know the attacking rusviets and that's quite a nice little mission uh, but it does run into you know, some of the problems with the core game as well, which is the AI is kind of crap. Um, and you can distract it relatively easily uh, on the map. Uh, but the gameplay and also the, the, the campaign missions on the strength, strong side, they don't really try to starve you out. Uh, be the, the, I didn't know what I was doing at the very beginning. It was very easy to lose that. Was, okay, you could just run back to the village. All my, all my guys got, got wiped by a machine gun nest because I walked into a machine gun nest. Just walk back to the village and pick up some more. Okay, I walked to the village, pick up some more. More cannon fodder. Um, and I could just keep doing that until I learned the ropes and learned the system. So it wasn't, it was a tough campaign. And a lot of it was, it's a real, it's a real the missions are tough, but it does build you up. And sometimes they get frustrating. And sometimes it's annoying, but it has, you know, all the great things that modern campaigns have. Um, your leaders, your heroes can resurrect each other uh, in a campaign. If they die, they, if they die, they're not dead. They can be raised by another hero character. Uh, so you can pull them back so you don't lose all of that time. Um, you, The map is generally laid out in front of you so you know where you're going. It isn't a black expanse. <coughs> which is really a strong point, I think, of this, which makes a lot of sense to me, right? You know, it's it's your country. You know where the roads are. You know where the bridges are. You don't need to be told, you don't need to be surprised by a bridge or a cannon. So you can prepare ahead of time. So there is kind of this tactical planning within the campaign missions, um, as which you would expect on a skirmish map, because generally the maps are exposed. But it's good to have all of that laid up very nicely. So you have these very complicated maps, but you can plan ahead and you can think, well, I look at this choke point here, and I can expect they're going to give me some trouble. So I I should load up on grenadiers. I should get the mech uh, in front. I should protect my rear because this looks like it could be an alternate path. And there are all of these the missions. The maps are just so well designed, not just as being fun to play in the campaign, but in <coughs> encouraging you to think strategically. I got the, the whole train yard mission, which, you know, is kind of like in Alamo. You get it from both sides as you try to get things prepped and across. You take a look and you say, oh, God, that's where the enemy base is. Here's where they're going to be coming. My defense is here, here, and here. Oh, now they're coming from the other side. All right. The train's weak. Do I back it up? Where do I put it? And you're thinking, you're thinking steps ahead all the way through. And I think that's really a strength to this campaign is that it encourages you to think as a planner and not just as someone reacting to events, but as someone who can use your very... One of the weaknesses of the game is the lack of variety in units. But for the campaign, Absolutely. that's for the campaign, that's a strength. 
because it means you have tools. So you say, I need, I need my pliers and I need my adjustable wrench. So you get those. In a skirmish campaign, you it kind of gets boring to like bring out uh, the same type of units all the time. But in a campaign, that's a, that's an asset because it needs it it helps hmm. with your planning. You don't have decision paralysis. You know what you need to do. So a weakness in the skirmish becomes a strength in the campaign. I think that's probably why the multiplayer is a lot less satisfying. Is that a lot of the things that you know, are kind of either expected or boring in a skirmish game, really make the campaign shine in certain points here. Yeah, Troy, that's an excellent point because the combat in the game is fairly simple, right? There's almost a rock, paper, scissorsy kind of thing going on here where certain units are best against certain other kinds of units, and you just need to make sure you have the right stuff to take it out with the exception of the absolute biggest, nastiest unit, which can basically only be taken out by their equivalent from the other side. I think you're right, and that is an excellent strength when you're looking at these single-player missions. There's a there's a really great mission on the Saxony campaign where you first have a, a limited group of units that you have to sort of manage and work very carefully with, and then you get to build a base, and then you get kind of farther away from that base, and suddenly the game throws a survival moment at you. And that is really interesting because you you want to make sure your force is flexible because the game keeps hitting you with those moments. So there's no sort of steamroll moment where you're like, oh, OK, I'm just going to build 12 of the nastiest unit I can and go for it, because a lot of the time that means you aren't flexible enough to both defend your base and attack the opponent's position like you need to when the mission calls for it. And uh, I think it's a credit to the level design as a whole, but you're absolutely right that it is that weakness of the unit design and of the faction design is suddenly a strength when you start talking about the level design. The the level designers can very predictably know exactly what tools you have available to you and exactly what they can do. It's not quite like Company of Heroes 2, where sometimes you get a tank, but that tank isn't actually very good at fighting other tanks unless you're a, a god at micro or or those kinds of situations or like they give you an armored car and the armored car is great against infantry unless you let it sit still for a minute, in which case it's dead meat. They know they know that those things just aren't true in their game. I mean, there's except for the higher level max, pretty much all the sides are kind of kind of they're the same. They're identical. The names may change, but their purposes are the same. I think you know, one side gets a flamethrower infantryman, but aside from that, there's not a whole lot of variety, even between the factions. This is not a game about asymmetry uh, in any serious sense. It's, uh, are... it's much more asymmetrical in the multiplayer modes where certain factions don't have access to certain infantry uh, during play unless they can steal the equipment from the other side. It's very asymmetrical when you look at the mechs and what they're capable of doing. Yes, yeah, but but, but, but aside from like special game modes and general right. skirmish, in the general skirmish where everybody can bring out their stuff, the sides are fairly identical. I mean, the, the except for you know the, the the mechs, which are like the, the the stars, and they take a while to come out. You have to upgrade your barracks, but the, the very early moments of the game, uh, of a multiplayer game or of a skirmish game, you're going to be running around with your engineers and your riflemen. And then they'll find a pack of grenades and they'll become grenadiers. Are you going to hire grenadiers? And you're looking, it's like the Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man. Oh, he's, he's over there. You know, he's wearing a different suit. Yeah, um, no, you're absolutely right. 
So, uh, so there, you, you, which is again, not a lot of fun if you want to play different sides. Oh, how does this side play? Well, the exact same. But in a campaign, that means you don't have to learn a whole new faction when the campaign starts. You already know pretty much what your heavy gunner is going to do, what your grenadier is going to do. You might you'll have to learn the mechs a little bit differently, and that kind of makes sense. But you don't get a whole lot of those. You know, there'll be like a couple of them in a mission. Um, and they're always re a really big deal when they show up. Um, so they deserve a kind of special attention. So yeah, the simplicity really, really works, uh, in the, in the, in the campaign. Um, and the, 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 the AI is still weak, except for, you know, the scripted parts when, okay, now it's time for the charge over the parapets. Uh, generally, you know, if the AI has to do things, it can be, you know, distracted. It can be pushed off its objective. Um, yeah, and that's absolutely. Never, and that never changes. And that's that's a weakness all the way through. Um, it, you can just build up defenses, even if it has one place to go and wipe out. If you build like a series of little defenses along the way, it will stop and take out every single yes. bunker you place along the way. Even if it doesn't need to, even if you're not doing any damage to it, <clears> it will take out everything it runs across. Uh, so I definitely have used the hell out of that when defending the train yard where yeah, like I did. trying to just hold the train, I was getting rolled. But the minute I put some uh, little like baited uh, pillboxes, they weren't even manned. There were no guns on them, nope. but the AI would just be like, Ooh, okay. Everyone destroy that. And it also doesn't seem to know what is efficient. Uh, like it would have infantry blazing away at that pillbox. Same as like artillery. Yeah. But the infantry don't do damage to that basically nope. like it's not it will take them a week to churn through that but the ai doesn't do that sort of like targeting priority it, 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 the ai can't think of more than one thing and that's a problem i think i sympathize uh, with, with, with the game in general <laughs> uh with the game in, in, in general that it, it can't handle two objectives right. um it, its plan is unless it's a scripted thing uh, and this is in skirmish and the campaign. It's to throw everything it has at one location, which is great. Overwhelming force is wonderful, but you know if the problem's up in the northeast, and you can somehow get them pulling to the southeast, uh, then you've got lots of time to fortify your base, to collect the resources you need, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that is really why I'm not quite so fond of it that the AI is just so focused. Um, I mean, I, I haven't played it against a human. I'm not sure how this works as a human. I probably wouldn't work against you, John. Uh, and I might want to try it against people because the, the mechs are cool. I like bringing out the mechs, you know? They're kind of fun. Um, we haven't mentioned this is a game that has destructible environments. So you bring out a mech and you just, oh, there are some riflemen hiding in a house. I'll walk through the house. So uh, satisfying. And, it just you know, looks so good. And they do it by default, right. the mechs, right? They just really like yeah. to walk through stuff. So you're like, okay, go point A to point B. They will literally go as the crow flies if they can. And they will it's walk just... through each and every house along the way. And it is so great. There's a, I don't know if you all have seen this, but there's a giant four-legged monstrosity of a mech for Saxony. It's one of their hero units. And it can walk through literally anything. And it is hysterical to watch it just plow through entire towns um <clears throat> i also do enjoy that 
the campaign does give you some positions that are just like it, it often as like the side objectives, there will be places where like, can you storm this position? Can you wipe out this enemy base? You don't need to. It's it's a uh, you know, it's a thing that you can do optionally. But like there was a little secret enemy base in the uh, train mission where once you get set up, all you got to do is cross a bridge and crossing the bridge isn't very hard. Uh, you basically just build a bunch of mechs and storm it and you can, you know, that'll take you. Uh, well, I should say this crossing that bridge itself is not hard, but then it does plunge you into just a churning grinding. This is another thing I will say this campaign does well. Like there's places where a battle starts and in a lot of RTSs, things will sort of peter out once you break through the enemy's units and then get to their base Iron Harvest does tend to make it so that once you start that like grinding forward advance, you're just engaged in like full tilt nonstop combat for like 15, 20 minutes at a time. Yeah, uh, it's absolutely while. like bespoke scripted, right? So like <clears throat> none of that nonsense where you attack a base and a bunch of the enemy forces stand around doing nothing at the other end of the base, not coming to attack you. You attack a base, they're going to come at you. Yeah. Uh, and they will just keep coming and I'm pretty sure they will break the rules of the on map economy to make it so that they continue having waves of forces arrive. There was a point uh, where I was finally breaking through the last lines defenses <clears throat> and uh, that giant fuck off Rus Viet um, assault APC shows up and disgorges like five squads of fresh uh, infantry and I was like, OK, I don't know where those guys came from, where they're hiding. But sure, this is this is happening. Uh, and so that was cool. But before that part. There was also the secret enemy base that would launch you launch these nuisance attacks again. You could easily fend them off and, and bottle it up. But if you wanted to take that base. The enemy had a really good position. They were really dug in there and they had some really nasty mechs uh, that would make it very difficult for you to advance. And so it turned into a pretty cool siege that I had to fight as a side objective, just slowly like investing this base and figuring out like, where can I break through their defenses? Cause like the front door is not working. Uh, I'm getting shredded. So how do I, how do I sort of lever this open? Um, and th the game does well giving you, some of those thorny little problems uh, to deal with. I think it's less compelling when, as it often does, it has those missions where you're, um, and this is very Warcraft 3 style, where you are sort of just running troops around a map, making stuff happen and advancing a story um, rather than like building out your base. And I know the RTS campaigns need to vary it that way, but... I often did find myself getting a little deflated whenever like a mission opened. And instead of having any kind of base, I had like four squads and a long, pretty clear path ahead of me just to navigate. Uh, that would bum me out a little bit. Yeah. And those those types of missions do get less common as the campaign goes on. Um, and there's one that's actually good, which I found shocking but they do have that throughout uh, and they're not good. There's a stealth mission later. I shit you not. And it's awful. <laughs> so just be prepared for that. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's um, a bit of old school. The, I did not need 
that little that little stealth mission has some of the most entertaining bits of world building and lore if you like this world of any of them because there's a big like diplomatic party going on so you can sort of wander around and there's characters from the rest of the world and you get to hear what's going on not in eastern europe and some of that is is really satisfying and fun they do lots of good background world building like that so, so, so please tell me the stealth the stealthish involves you being either a mech or a bear. Sadly not. You're a lady with a tiger. Oh, she's cool. Um, and a cavalry one, saber. One thing I... Uh, how do you guys feel, speaking of world building, how do you guys feel about the overall aesthetics of this game uh, and, and the mechs? I have to admit... Um, I think the game has trouble evoking the things that make Rosalski's artwork compelling. Um, it has sort of by necessity, there is no sense of scale uh, in, in this game. You know, these, these mechs that sort of tower over people in the concept art uh, are kind of cartoonishly small in in the actual game because that's maybe the only way to make it playable uh but at the same time it does sort of lend it a bit of preposterousness uh and i think some of the mech designs end up being really roughly handled by this uh i think weirdly enough the polanian mechs look fine because they are so cobbled together and janky that it doesn't bother me that they look a little bit silly but the uh, Rusviat ones, which are all of them are just these most brutal, like slab faced, uh, you know, they're they're almost like shark, uh, you know, shark faces on legs is is the way I describe a lot of the, the Rusviat mech aesthetics or like, um, you know, if an ultralisk in Starcraft was a mech instead of a, a, a giant elephant bug, uh, maybe it'd be like that, too. Those I found just looked really dumb uh, throughout the campaign. I just never, every time it cut to like a character uh, climbing into one of their little Rusviet, um, you know, chompers, <laughs> you know, it just, it always looks so silly. And yeah. it, it, it's, it was a weird thing where as sinister uh, and imposing as the Rusviet stuff was supposed to be, their army always felt silly in the way that, Warhammer tabletop armies look silly when you actually do like paint them up and lay them on a table and they're just sort of sitting there out of context and you realize like this is kind of dumb and that's how I felt about <laughs> a lot of the aesthetics here no I completely agree with you with the design of the Rusviat stuff they there's maybe like they maybe have like one mech that looks cool I think maybe two and uh it's a little disappointing that that's the way it turned out because surely there are better mech designs in Jacob Rosalski's paintings somewhere the that they could have gone with for those and it's disappointing because there's two other factions that got fleshed out in like Scythe and in some of his other paintings that like probably had cooler looking mechs they maybe could have just pillaged and pretended they were the Rusviet mechs uh and it's a little sad that they didn't just go for that though I do yeah. think that some of the uh Rusviet mechs look adorably stupid, like the little flamethrower mech that instead of having like four legs just has like a back wheel. That's that's hysterical. 
the, the, the mech designs are half Hanna-Barbera and half designed by an eight-year-old. I mean, they're not, you know, the high, these aren't the peaks of, you know, engineering design or, you know, Apple product launches. Uh, and, you know, the, the analogy, of, of course, is to World War I tanks. Uh, which were also rudimentary, but also didn't look like they were going to be leaking fluids all over the place randomly, uh, which a lot of the Polanian... Hard disagree, but... Yeah, okay. Uh, well, certainly not by 1920. These are very brutal experimental machines in very many ways. Um, so I, I'll take a little bit of, you know, the okay, they're going to look very rudimentary. Right, and the, I, 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 I mean, I, I do like that the Ruzviet has a Ruzviets have a style, you know. They have an in-house, they have an in-house style, which is good. They have a brand, and know what their brand is. Uh, as whereas you know the Palandian is, you know, get Oscar the Grouch's can and you know, put some guns on it, which you know might work, I guess. It might, but but it, it, it's fine. I mean, I, I, I they're. I, I kind of I, I think the com- the somewhat comedic look of the uh, mechs combined with their absolute lethality head on because they're like totally weak if you get them from the, the back. Um, I, I find that dissonance works very well for me. I think I, I like the idea of this comedic ostrich uh, just laying waste to everything in front of it. Yeah, and it is. It is well designed. Then, when you go to look at the Sax- Saxony faction, the Saxonians, yeah. um, the sort of German <laughs> what if Empire, only war panzers had legs. Yeah, they they look yeah. like that to a certain degree, but they also like are the most dangerous mechs. They have the most advanced technology in the game. They sort of have the best looking mechs in terms of aesthetics, and their mechs are actually the most dangerous ones. So it does do a decent job of reinforcing what the units do, which is is kind of nice. I think that going back to sort of Rob's original question, I think that overall the place where the game's aesthetics fall down and fall short of the of the source material is that they Rosalski's paintings are very much landscape works about the use of light and about fog Mm. and weather and atmosphere. And Mm. the game has this attempt at an almost photorealistic art style that they cannot execute to the degree they would have needed to to make that look excellent in its own way and then it is too photorealistic to feel the way that Rosowski's to feel the way that Rosowski's paintings feel which is the sort of luminous almost ethereal uh, like Andrew Wyeth-esque world of this beautiful natural world with its weather and its people and its fields of golden grain contrasted against these hulking industrial monstrosities intruding upon it. And you'd get that feeling when you're stomping through a village or whatever and obliterating every building in your path, but you don't have that same feeling when you're doing something similar in a forest or a wheat field. That's a very good point. It doesn't. And some of that is perhaps. Like you can imagine that version of the game looking amazing if it were like a Eugen game, for instance, where what you wouldn't have is a Company of Heroes style game where you're down there and watching your troops sort of individually yeah. take cover behind barriers. But you would have the 
open landscape and like the light dappling across a field and then like massive vehicles breaking from the trees and like churning it up. That's what you would get. Uh, but the scale of this and the decisions they made around lighting it uh, are definitely, definitely prevent it from ever evoking uh, anything like what the, what the Rosalski paintings are are trying to get across. Uh, now the multiplayer is less successful. Uh, I haven't played that much, uh, but I will say one thing that was consistent frustration for me is that for a game that is really trying hard to mimic company of heroes, it doesn't feel as good as company of heroes. I mean this in a really, a thing that is easy to take for granted is company of heroes use of cover and the way units mm -hmm. deploy and without necessarily needing to be micromanaged adopt pretty good positions that will make them survivable on the battlefield. And they will react somewhat intelligently to new threats that, that sort of arise in this game. I constantly felt like the logic governing the way my units moved and responded to movement commands, the way they idled, the way they would sort of spread out when not doing something. It just always consistently felt like my troops were doing the worst and dumbest thing possible at every moment. And it became really pronounced when you were fighting around cover points, you know, stone walls, uh, city streets, etc., and the things that you sort of take for granted in the company of heroes, where it's like if you suppress, you know, a squad, it's very easy to move someone to a flank position and start like you know just battering them from that side. Uh, I would see these things just not happen and devolve into really disorderly scrums where people are just all shooting each other in big circle, and at that point, you're not playing nothing interesting is happening now it's just like okay i'll feed more people into that scrum and uh i'll drive a mech up and just blow the hell out of everybody no you're you're right and that's where it falls down the the richness of the tactical gameplay on company of heroes or comp especially company of heroes 2's maps where the difference between garrisoning a building and the four different tiers of cover really meant something to tactical gameplay in this it is literally the binary state of you are either in cover or not in cover or you're garrisoning a building garrisoning a building is okay but it's almost always a death sentence because in this game so much is just driven by the fact that there are four different tiers of units it's infantry light armor mechs medium armor mechs and heavy armor mechs and every unit does a different amount of damage to each of those four categories and therefore they just kind of are counters and stuff right there's no there's an extreme lack of soft countering in this game where like in company of heroes you can run off an enemy tank by getting some lucky mortar shots on it that's just not a thing in iron harvest at all in company of heroes you can run off an enemy tank with like a decent anti-tank weapon in cover that's not going to happen here yeah and i think this contributes to um some of what you talked about in your review where like you might as well just rush the map as quickly as possible. Um, you, you might as well just be everywhere. Cause I think a, one of the things that when company of heroes was at its best and most balanced, uh, 
if you were trying to just rush forward and like basically win on e- econ, um, good micro could turn the battle. That was the tension, right? Like if somebody really had their shit together in a key fight, they could trash superior forces uh, with pretty mediocre units. And then suddenly the entire match is flipped back on its head and the person who lost all those units can't field good units for a little while. They have to wait for their manpower to get back up with whatever. Um, and so that would be the ebb and flow. And that's what in company of heroes was a game of ebb and flow. It was about winning those little exchanges here and there and slowly like gaining map control, map pressure, and finally like, you know, taking the win or controlling the stracic points uh, to to sort of win enough, win enough tickets. Um, here, in part because the units are also loose um, and some of the uh, some of the units feel so hard countery, you might like once you run somebody off, you might as well just keep going. There's there's rarely any penalty to like, oh, you win a fight, just keep going. And so it's a game where where Company of Heroes could be a game of like escalating risk as you keep going. This is kind of one that's like, yeah, snowball away, brother. Yeah, absolutely. You want to parlay map and economy control into a bit of a, a snowball or at least a standstill where you have the advantage and then get out a, a wave of reinforcements, which is an interesting mechanic in this game where you, you set up sort of these pack, packages of units using a limited reserve pool, and then you can call them in over the course of the game as you reach certain sort of economic points. But in truth is you just end up using those to snowball to secure your victory at some point. And it's really telling that the major discussion among the community of the game early on was whether it's best to rush for map control to get economy or to rush for map control to get the free resources that are in <laughs> packages you can pick up. Like there was no option where it was like, you should secure the most intelligent sections of the map for you. No, it's just like, in which way should you go as hard as you can? Yeah. And I, I think if the and all the unit and all the factions seem to have really similar dynamics as far as that goes, like even though there's some differentiation among the mechs, um, I'm thinking again about <sighs> Company of Heroes one did some good faction differentiation. But one of the things that I don't know is really on my mind is Company of Heroes two. I ended up doing a review of um, I think it was the the commonwealth forces expansion for company of heroes 2 but one of the things i think that accompanied that was uh some of the german armies got some upgrades there too and so while you had a lot of really uh sort of mobile and stealth units in the commonwealth forces and a lot of like fire support type stuff uh one of the things you were now up against was the fact that the germans had some ridiculous uh late game you know your classic late game king tiger shit that tiger that comes out. yeah yeah and you would have factions that then you sort of a bit like what you need in rts where it's like some factions will get stronger should get stronger as a match goes into the late game and some should start maybe a little bit stronger there are small shades of this i think at the start of the match i think polanian's early game units are not particularly strong um, oh, that's funny you've, you've got it backwards 
Oh, really? is the strongest early game. Yeah, because their light mechs are better than everyone else's light mechs. Oh, but their infantry suck. Yeah, but in like, truth, just get, I know the, the only I, look, thing the, that the matters that early game is good. The trash can with machine guns is very good. And the trash can stork is also very good. They're both great. The stork is good. Stork is excellent. It's got stork really got long range the fuck up for me all the time. It's got it's a skirmisher. It has to stay out of the line of fire, yeah. but it it. It's one of the best flankers there is. And plus, if you I get just to veteran, the trash can, if you get it to veteran, it has mech bayonet charge, mm. mech bayonet charge, Rob. It looks really yeah. cool. I just couldn't stand the fact that my troops didn't have like until I got machine gunners out, though, my infantry were losing every shootout. Like it's, it sucks. Yes, yeah, it's just not fun. opening stages when I'm just trying to establish map presence. It drove me fucking crazy that my engineers got ran off every point. My riflemen couldn't do shit um and so i was just like where's my trash can uh the saxons are the, the saxons know how to fight a war um yeah but the the point is though like there is no faction felt like it had that sort of dynamic where it's like okay we're in the first like 15 minutes of a match this is my time to shine where somebody else is like if i can make this thing go to like 30 minutes they're fucked uh that also didn't seem to be a calculation. It just sort of seemed like if you could get an advantage, just keep rolling it. And there weren't a lot of ways that you could sort of sit on resources and make a comeback because there's something your faction has that uh, sort of evens it up. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It, all the choices like that are down to which hero you picked and when that hero comes out. And that's not dependent on your faction in truth. At the highest levels of play, if you watch some of the competitive tournaments that have been organized and played for this game, you will actually see some of the differences to the, between the factions come to the fore. But it's not like Company of Heroes or KOTU where you're looking at like Wehrmacht versus Commonwealth yeah. forces and you're seeing a huge difference in play style. And that's kind of disappointing. I mean, that is stuff that you tend to see with a more mature multiplayer like with a more mature game right like i think this was an area where iron harvest in some ways when i think about how rough the multiplayer demo was i didn't see the quality of the single player campaign coming at all um no, and me neither. so like i was convinced this thing just felt rough as hell and multiplayer to an extent still does um but that sort of belies the fact that this is a this is a new rts um there isn't a Company of Heroes, they were making that thing for like 10 years. Very um, true. Yeah. This one, you know, is has just started. I, I hope there's I hope there's more. Uh, because I'm I'm definitely kind of bought in now to to the universe. And I don't think the um I don't think Scythe has done much that's narrative, right? Like this is this is basically the place where so the Scythe's, story uh, of the world is. Scythe's second expansion is called The Rise of Fenris, and it is a narrative campaign. Okay. Uh, that you play through over the course of multiple games, but they and they cribbed some of that for the Iron Harvest uh, story. But overall, no, Scythe is not a deeply yeah. narrative experience with a lot of interesting stuff going on. There's little flavor bits here and there, but this really fleshes out characters and, and gives the world a lot more tone. Yeah. It was very flat before, and it's nice to see different things happening. And some of the idea of like, it's sort of hard to tell, like how do the people who live in the world of iron harvest feel about what's going on in it? Now that we have 
the game Iron Harvest, now that we have this, we can see that and we can see that vision. And that's really satisfying and cool if you've been following this for a long time. And I think that that's that's my ultimate takeaway from this game is, yeah, I want to see them make another one. Yeah. Uh, Troy, do the did the charms of the single player like? I, yeah. Where, where, where are you in terms of strength of recommendation for this? I think if you like RTSs, you definitely have to play this. I think it is, in many ways, a throwback. Uh, I don't think it's a whole lot of new stuff. I think there's enough of the campaign to recommend trying it. I really do want to see them make more of these. I would like to see the Japanese versions of these mechs. I would like to see what the British Empire, uh, whatever they're called in this world, uh, looks like. Uh, I'd like to see... I think it is an interesting world. I think that... I could, I'd still prefer a little more differentiation between the factions, but, you know, historically, how much difference was there between machine gunners, I guess. I mean, here I am calling for asymmetry in a game that really is based in a history where there wasn't a whole lot of asymmetry between the sides, if you think about it. Uh, I think what is a game designer, not as an alt historian. Um, but I, 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 I do recommend the game. I, I really do think it's worth taking a look at. Is it worth taking a look at at $70 Canadian? I'm not sure what is in the U.S. dollars. That's a tougher sell, I think. Um, it, it, it really is. A, it, it's a premium price, and people should charge what they can get, and that's great, and I hope they're selling lots of copies of it. Good for them. Uh, but it is a full price for a game that is really kind of half in place um, because many of the weaknesses of the AI you find in Skirmish uh, and of design you find in multiplayer do find their way into the campaign, and that may frustrate some people. Um, but I, I think you guys have talked me into the campaign as being better than I thought when I came in here, so it may be worth checking out if we're into that sort of thing. I think that's a good point, though. Uh, in a weird way, the <coughs> campaign, I think, goes a long way to justifying the asking price, because campaigns and sort of narrative like this tends to be notoriously expensive to to build and and deliver in quality but it has to be worth it to you and i think if you're somebody who um if your heart really isn't open to a like deluxe blowout rts single player campaign there's probably not much here for you. Like the, the yeah. multiplayer is an interesting curiosity. I think at that point, but there is no world in which I'm saying, Oh yeah. Like try iron harvest. Don't reinstall company of heroes too. That's not, yeah. that's not happening. No. Uh, but yeah, for whatever reason, I am fully in a place where like, Oh, we're doing Eastern European, uh, like, uh, interwar history with, with diesel max. Huh? Okay. Um, I am all the way on board. Oh, the missions are good. Oh, there's decent cutscenes and some like reasonably complicated characters. This is the best. I haven't seen this in, in ages. Uh, sign me up. And so this has ended up being like probably one of my favorite games, like the late summer, early fall, and might be one of my favorite experiences of the year, uh, when all is said and done. Hmm. But a big part of that is probably that, I am unusually open to a game like this at this moment in my life. Um, you know, it's it's a no, scary I, world and it's quarantine times. What's that? You've got a 30 hour uh, single player RTS campaign. OK. 
No, I completely agree. I think you're you're very correct. That's one of the reasons I like this so much is it's familiar and satisfying and it does something that hasn't been done for a while. And yeah, that's great. I'm really happy to play that. And you're completely right, though. Like if you're not open to a big, cool RTS campaign, if that's not what you're here for, you should reinstall Company of Heroes 2 and play the community balance patches because those are pretty good. Uh, I was just really quickly trying to, I was like, has Tom Chick written about this? This feels like a game that Tom Chick would just rip in half. Uh, but <laughs> just, just morbid curiosity for a moment. Um, yeah. So I think that's like, that's our qualified recommendation. I think it's a very, in some ways, uh, it's very clear how you should self-select uh, when it comes to this question. Uh, but I hope this discussion has been valuable to you. That will do it for this week. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed the show. This episode was produced by Liana Hafer. Through his head is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at throughmovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. That also has further information about our super secret Discord server where we occasionally talk about strategy games. Until then, uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of 3MA. Uh, for John, for Troy, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.